Okay, as in go. Sorry, one second. Fork Tales, a podcast that feeds the food and beverage world. Oh, awesome. Fortales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at VigorBranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give Fortales a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. Good morning, everyone. Today, I have the honor of being joined by Bobby Shaw. Uh, for those that don't know, Bobby Shaw has a storied history in the restaurant space from McDonald's to Chipotle to his own consulting, writing a book, having a podcast. Uh, hopefully I didn't take away uh, your job, but Bobby, say hello. Uh, give a little bit of backstory. Hey, thanks, Joseph. Uh, I'm really honored to be here. So thank you for having me. So I've been in the restaurant industry, like you said, for my entire career. Uh, I began my career in high school at McDonald's in 1984, uh, really not knowing uh, really what I wanted to do. And, and uh so uh, I worked there. Uh, I thought it was just going to be for a short time. I ended up being there till 2001. Uh, so it was a really, really long career. But I learned so much from my time at McDonald's. And I'll talk more about this when we talk about my time a little bit in my career later on. But, uh, you know, I learned so much about processes and people and systems. And uh, so I started my career working in the kitchen and ended up uh, working my way up through hourly manager in high school. And then became a GM and uh, then a multi-unit leader uh, for them and uh, did that uh, through 2001. It was really kind of the bedrock foundation of, of uh, my career. And then uh, following McDonald's, uh, I went to work for a little company that nobody could pronounce called Chipotle and uh, here in Kansas City, where I am now, uh, there's just a handful of restaurants that were less than 200 nationwide, hard, hard to believe uh, since there's now 3,300 I believe. Uh, so worked here in yeah, Kansas wow. City. Yeah. So I worked here for a few years. Then I got a call asking if I wanted to uh, take a promotion and move to Austin, Texas. Uh, and that was uh, 2005. So I did that, moved to Austin, um, ran Austin, uh, Houston, and a few other uh, few other markets. And then I got a call uh, to take over the southeast part of the U.S. Uh, and keep my keep my territory in Texas. So I did that. And that was, that was super fun. That was a lot of geography. Uh, it really helped me, um, stretch and, uh, just really reinforced how important people, people development is. And, and, and so that was, that was super fun. Um, so I became an executive regional director in 2008 and, uh, had that whole part of the U S and, and we just went on a tear. Uh, we opened a hundred locations. Uh, we developed just thousands of people. Uh, it was an incredible time. Um, and so I was with Chipotle until 2012, uh, went to work for another small little burrito company in Austin, Texas with about a hundred units Did that for about three and a half years as the president and chief operating officer. And that was a super fun experience with Freebirds because with Freebirds, it, it was a brand uh, that was much smaller and um, it was also an older brand. So it, it had been around since 1987. And so I had a chance to go in and with the team there, kind of rebuild the team and create the culture that we wanted. Uh, so that was exciting. Uh, so I did that for about three years. And then I started my own consultancy where I, I really had a passion for helping other restaurant owners and leaders really build their business and really understand how to grow and scale if that was their choice or 
if they just wanted to be better, you know, if they just wanted to have better people, they wanted to have a better culture. And so I really wanted to do that. So I did that for about four and a half years. And then just recently, I took a new role as chief operating officer with an exciting company here in Kansas City called Unforked, uh, where um, it's 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 really small. You know, just a few restaurants, but we have really big plans to grow and scale. And again, it's about great food and great people, and also enlightened hospitality. So that's kind of a little brief overview of me. So, and along the way, I wrote a book. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, you know, which was also really fun, and that really documents my experience. from my time at McDonald's through my time at Chipotle and all the, all the things I learned that I thought would be helpful for other people. So, yeah. And I think that's great. So, um, I've been following you for a while and obviously the, the resume speaks for itself in so many ways, but one of the, one of the things I like about what you just went over is there, there's a very large misconception, I think by the broader population, especially youth that, the the restaurant industry is not really one that you should be proud to get into or not really one that has a future um and and i think we're seeing that in the labor shortages uh that we're still struggling with as a, as an industry as well but the path that you just laid out is impressive it's um, it's awesome and i'm not trying to just blow smoke on you or up up your rear just because you're on the show but i'm like this is case in point you started at mcdonald's i presume at the counter. I did. I started making hamburgers in the kitchen. Yeah. Making hamburgers in the kitchen. Um, and while my path is a little bit different, I I started at a bagel shop when I was 15 years old, mopping the floors. That's awesome. Um, I went from mopping the floors to working the counter from working the counter to making the bagels, to delivering the bagels, to managing a store, to managing two stores. And then I was like, I, I don't want to be in the restaurant industry in this capacity because I'm really creative. And, you know, so my path is something similar. So when I talk to younger folks, I'm like, guys, this is not something to be embarrassed about. This is a different path. That's a really good path. Um, you know, and, and you should try to embrace it because it's pretty amazing. I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, that's such an important point. You know, I, I don't have a college degree. I mean, I went to college, but I didn't complete it. I mean, I am going to do that. Um, for myself, not because I feel like I need, you know, that I need to, or that I have to, but I want to. And, but I didn't have a college degree, you know, and I just found out that I was really good at this. And I really gravitated towards the people side, but even as a younger leader, like I understood the value of surrounding yourself with people, um, who are really good that were as good or better than you. And it does create a career path. Unlike anything, um, that I've seen where, you know, I mean, it's so inspiring because my time at Chipotle where, you know, we really created um, this career path, the restaurant tour program, how someone could go from working in the kitchen or working on tortilla and, you know, someday three or four years down the road, be able to run their own restaurant and have a company car. I mean, just unbelievable stories like that, Joseph, like hundreds of hundreds of stories that just came out of my yeah. part of the country where, you know, there is a career there. And, you know, I know people don't see it that way sometimes and they don't think that and they think, wow, you know, to think, why would I want to work in the restaurant? Well, you can create a pretty good life for yourself as, as, as I think we both had made clear. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And I, I saw, um, so what you just explained, um, we experienced with one of our clients, um, out on the West coast at the San Jose area called Eric's Deli Cafe. And, you know, they, they started franchising, they have, they're predominantly franchised, but they did stagnate, um, the pandemic wasn't the nicest to them. They've gotten through it. They have persevered. And I'm so proud of them for that. Uh, but one of the things we realized before the pandemic is 
while they had a nice aggressive franchise sales la- uh, launch initially, um, it died off. And what what happened was, I think, two instances of someone who worked in the store actually became a franchise. They created that path to becoming wow. a franchisee. And while they have a lot of great franchisees, yep. I have to say that these one in particular, the first one, immediately became the second fran like the second uh from the top as far as uh revenue and profitability they run the hell out of the location um they're looking at getting another one and i'm like that that right there that's the path and these people um that i'm talking about in particular are are immigrants they they came to this country legally and they they worked it they worked their rear ends off and um you know, the, the, the sky's the limit for them. That's right. Um, and I love that story. And, and our industry is, is just teeming with stories like that. And yet it's, they're just not told all people see from the youth are, Oh, you're working at McDonald's. They turn their nose up. Um, yep. it's fast food. It's a means to a different end, you know, like this is right. what you do until you get out of college. But, um, for those that have the touch for those that have, um, that hospitality in their blood, you don't need to really go to college. Like you said, I mean, you can go back and actually get stronger, but you can actually go pretty far on, you know, your college or a high school education. Yeah. That's um, an amazing story. I, I, you know, I love that. And, and, you know, for myself, I had the good fortune of working for a wonderful owner operator, great franchisee in McDonald's, uh, one of the leaders here in the Midwest and really across the country, Art Phillips. Uh, Art was just one of those, kind of once in a generation leaders that uh, during my career where, you know, he had an organization that was always so large and, you know, he actually encouraged me to take the next step and to go work for the corporation, you know, and a lot of franchisees wouldn't do that, but Art did, you know, because he saw that I had more to give and he saw that I had more than he could actually, you know, use at the time. And, 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 and so when you get connected in with a good group of people, like the ones you're talking about on the West coast, that's, that's really incredible because, this is all about creating opportunities for people that otherwise wouldn't exist. And um, right. this concept of surrounding yourself with people that are as good as you are, hopefully better than you are, is, is something that, you know, for the last 10, 12 years of my life, I've just been preaching every chance I get because it's how you create a culture that's going to sustain itself and be able to reproduce itself. Yeah. So let, let's um, talk about, so we, McDonald's was the starting point, uh, springboarded you into something new and then, uh, you, yeah. you shifted over to Chipotle. I mean, I remember the very first time I saw a Chipotle, it was in New York. It was on seventh Avenue, um, in 26th street or at least right around there. Yep. And I remember thinking like, Whoa, what's this place? Um, and it opened up right next door to, uh, a better burger concept. Now guys, this is back in, <laughs> In 2006, 2007. So right. like, the Better Burger War hadn't started yet. Yep. Um, but it was called BRGR or yeah, BRGR. Exactly. BRGR. Yeah, the guy who started that's from Kansas City, actually. Okay, cool. Fantastic yeah. burgers. I remember having a burger there and thinking like, oh my God, why do not other people make these burgers? These are fantastic. <laughs> uh, but Chipotle was right next door. Right. What, what an amazing time to be a part of that brand when you hopped on. Um, what, what were some remarkable experiences that you had with Chipotle in your tenure there? Wow. So, so many things I, you know, what I like to say, I think I'd like to set this up by saying that, you know, when I, uh, when I worked for McDonald's, I spent a long time there, you know, I really learned how to manage. And what I like to tell people is when I made that transition to Chipotle, I learned how to lead. Um, you know, some of the most amazing experiences that I had there starting at the beginning of my career in 2002 was we didn't have any money. 
I mean, we, we just didn't like people, you know, people look at it now and go, Oh, you know, Chipotle, you know, they're a multi-billion dollar corp. Yeah, they are, but we weren't then. And so some of the most amazing experiences I had were really telling that story, like creating that grassroots movement and, you know, working alongside so many other people to do that here in Kansas city, specifically, a lot of people don't know this, but this was the number two market after Denver. This is where we came first after Denver. A lot of people don't know that Kansas city was the next market. Um, so there, there was a lot of expectations on Kansas city to, you know, can we prove this concept out? Sure. It works in Denver where Steve was from and you know, all that. So that was an amazing experience here working alongside the rest of the team to really build the brand. That was, that was super fun. That was as grassroots as it gets. Right. And I remember our, our job Mm -hmm. was to try to get as much food as we could into the mouths of our guests or the potential guests. And so that was exciting. Uh, you know, some other things that were really exciting were some of the experiences that I experienced were this was in the days before Facebook, before Instagram, before social media. And so everything we did was like radio and like grassroots events. Right. So, um, you know, we would do all those sorts of things. Um, then, you know, the experience I had of being able to be a part of creating this career path that I mentioned earlier, the restaurant tour program, a group of probably 10, 12 other leaders working directly with the CEO, Steve Ells and Monty Moran and, and, and really creating this framework for people to do what we were talking about, to have a career, right? We realized that mm-hmm. um, eight times out of 10, eight times out of 10, when we hired someone from the outside, um, it didn't work out, you know, it just didn't work out. So we had this really high turnover. So it was hard to get traction. And we realized that, um, we had so many great people inside of our restaurants and that were already working for us and that were working with us. And we just needed to create an opportunity for them to grow, which is how we were able to create the career path. So to be in on the ground floor of that, watching those lives change and, you know, all the ebbs and flows that came with that, that was, that was such an amazing experience. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, we talked about was wanting to change the way the world thought about it, ate food, fast food. And we did that. You know, we did that. I mean, um, I just had Dan Fogarty on my podcast a few weeks ago, and Dan was one of the first marketing executives. And he and I had a really passionate conversation about those early days and the things that we did. And, and you know, that's something that he said is, is that, you know, we didn't have any money, you know, but we wanted to change the world, you know. And uh, so get just yeah. the whole 10 years of being a part of that was really amazing. Yeah, so I I love the story of Chipotle. What's interesting, well, (laughs) one, I love it because I don't know how many times I've gotten phone calls from, we want to be the Chipotle of fill in the blank of some sort of concept. Right. Um, And and what I started to realize is what what they were saying, they saw the end result, uh, or not the end result, because we're not at the end, right? Um, But they they saw the results, the success, the... um, the, the gravitas that that brand had, had built and continues to build in a lot of ways. Um, and they wanted that, uh, but they just wanted to do it with hot dogs or hamburgers or, yeah. you know, yada, yada. Um, but what really interested me is I, I started to realize that when they said we want to be the Chipotle of, they were speaking specifically about the operational model. Right. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I, I would say is like, yes, 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 we need to have a strong operational model. But first, have you, have you figured out if this is actually going to work? for your 
cuisine. Um, right. You know, because I think Chipotle responsible is responsible for better or for worse for the step by step build your own. Um, and what I started realizing when we started doing studies with some um, of our clients over the years, uh, for instance, I'll, I'll take uh, a brand that we built out in Honolulu called Grilt. And okay. um, it got up to about three units. And then they realized that, you know what, uh, people in Hawaii don't want to eat healthy. So <laughs> um, <laughs> no, that's not a knock on, I, I don't necessarily mean the natives or, no, uh, or right, the, right. I, when you're on vacation, you're like, oh, where can I get a fantastically grilled healthy salad? They're like, no, give me the fat, bro. Um, <laughs> So we, we had a step-by-step approach. It's, it's a build your own plate concept. And, um, I was like, guys, I, we're having trouble pulling people through. We're having trouble with people understanding. Now that is partially because we have in, uh, in Hawaii, we had, um, a large American draw, but we also had a large Korean and Japanese and multi-languages sure. uh, and you can put all those languages on, on a, uh, on a board. Right. So I was like, why don't we try pre-built sandwiches and salads that they can just point and say that one. And what we saw is like, they actually worked better than the build your own. Um, you know, and that's not saying that Chipotle had something wrong. It's just seeing magic doesn't mean it's magic for you. No, Um, it doesn't. I mean, I think you bring up an excellent point. I mean, with the model we had and the model they still have today, you're not cooking for the guest. You're cooking for the line. So that's a very different, it's an important distinction because you know how much chicken you need to get through a thousand dollar hour, right? You know, you can calculate those usage for thousands of retail yields. That's what we're doing, right? And then we know the guests are going to be there. And and then so we're able to prepare that so quickly. And I think a lot of people thought, oh, there, you know, yes, the food is made just for you. Like it's made exactly the way you want it, hundred percent customized the way you want it. But we're cooking for the line. We're not cooking for the individual guest. And so that's that's what makes that model, I think, a little more unique. And so people do struggle when they say, yeah. I want to do the Chipotle thing. Well, are you sure? Because, you know, there's 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 more to it, you know. And, um, you know, the other thing is, I think, and where I thought you were going with that conversation is that people want to be the next Chipotle. And what they don't realize is how hard those early years were, you know, Um Everyone thinks oh, yeah. we were an overnight success. Uh, yeah, we, we were about a thirteen-year uh, overnight success. So um, you know, it didn't happen overnight, <laughs> right? And when you hear the story about Steve Ells wanting to start Chipotle and having to borrow money from his dad, uh, and then having to borrow some money from his dad's friends who were the initial investors, and you know, you hear about him opening Evans, uh, you know, in Denver, and 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 <laughs> I mean, it's an inspiring story. But it was hard. It was hard, you know. And I think a lot of times people don't get that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think they. It's it's easy to look past and have um, <laughs> rosy lenses, you know, as to how they got there. Yes. Uh, but like you said, there was no money, and and yeah. one of the things that I've admired about Chipotle is it was built without ever placing an ad or doing much marketing in the traditional sense because there wasn't money for it. There wasn't money for it. I mean, and that's why things like the little coins that you've probably seen around, right? There was a great article a few weeks ago uh, in Entrepreneur Magazine that Dan Fogarty, that first executive I was talking about that was on my podcast, The Marketing Executive, you know, was kind of talking about some of the unique things we did to tell the story because we had to, <laughs> and there just wasn't a lot of advertising dollars available. And so, especially in a market here, you know, where just outside of Denver, you know, there was no other market. And so we had to figure out how to do it really organically. 
without a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and that's something that I think a lot of uh, restaurateurs today can really identify with, but they come to us and they're like, how do we do this? And I'm like, dude, I mean, you're talking, you need someone who has a marketing mindset yep. that works with operations. Those two groups need to be in lockstep, you know, oh. and so often they're not, they're just divided. Right. You know what? Gosh, I'm so, I'm so glad you brought that up because this is something I talk about all the time. It's, it's, it's not operations here and marketing over here. When you talk about culture, it takes the two of them moving at the same. They have to be in lockstep. Like you said, they right. have to be in order for it to work or else you have a bunch of people in marketing who come up with these crazy ideas that we can't execute in operations. Right. I yep. mean, and that doesn't work. Right. We've all seen that happen, you know, over our time in the industry. So yeah, you have to be working together really side by side. Um, and it's, it's not one or the other. It's both. Right. Yeah. And when, when they do come together, magic happens. Um, so let's, let's shift. I mean, we could talk about Chipotle probably for years. Um, and I think there's a lot to learn there, but maybe I'll reach out to Dan and see if I can get him on the podcast to unpack some of the marketing aspects. But you went from Chipotle, um, to, and just everyone who's listening, notice how we say Chipotle, Chipotle, not just Chipotle, not Chipotle or not Chipotle, Chipotle, which, oh gosh, yes. So funny. Uh, so side note on that, I use Chipotle when we were talking about naming. Yeah. Because there's a lot of uh, paper tigers, red herrings, uh, whatever oh, yeah. you want to call them, that, that get caught up in naming, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and of course, there's a lot of emulation. That's why we saw the whole blank and blank movement. Oh, thank <laughs> God we're coming out of that. Um, but um, they're like, well, that's really hard to pronounce. I'm like, dude, no one can say Chipotle. So I don't think pronunciation is a really big problem. Exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, exactly. if they're coming in the door, I don't care what they call it. Um, That's so funny. It's so true. <laughs> so you go from Chipotle to technically a competitor, right? I mean, Freebirds Free Bird. Burrito is yeah. a competitor. Yeah. yeah, that was a really interesting transition. So you go from this kind of huge brand juggernaut, tons of success, IPO, kind of taking over the world, changing the way the world thought about Nate fast food, right? You go from that to a brand that was 26 years old that had lost its voice, kind of lost its relevance. You know, they actually started before Chipotle. They started in 1987, and Chipotle didn't start until 1993. They started on the West wow. Coast of Santa Barbara, uh, at USC Santa Barbara, um, and uh, were sold to an investment group 2007. Um, you know, they had moved to Texas, kind of moved their home base to Texas. Uh, still had an office in California. So I said no like three or four times. Uh, and you know how... Uh, sometimes when you're on the phone with the recruiter and they won't tell you, they won't tell you exactly what you're talking to them about. They won't tell you the name of the company. So finally on that, yeah. on that last call, I'm like, okay, you gotta be talking about free birds. Like who else are you talking about? Like, and it was, <laughs> so, um, so, you know, I had taken some time off from Chipotle. I take a long sabbatical kind of reconnect with my kids and my family. And cause I've been on the road so long. And, um, so I did, I joined and we moved the office to Austin and it was a really great experience because I, again, went from that huge brand to a small brand that also didn't have any of the really systems or processes or anything that I was used to. And so we got to rebuild that whole thing. I got to rebuild the, uh, the entire executive team. The only one who was got, who was there when I got there was the chief financial officer. So he and I worked together and again, you know, you talk about you know, the marketing and the operations, it's true with finance too, right? You need mm -hmm. finance operations to be on the same page, right? Because 
those guys are the ones writing the checks for the initiatives you want to go do. So, you know, we built the team and uh, we uh, did a number of really exciting things there, including a, an entire re-engineering of the menu. We designed a new 2.0, 2.0 building and prototype. Uh, we really... Uh, what year was this? This was actually with Freebirds that um, we implemented. Oh, but what year? So when oh, you came on board? Uh, this would have been 2013. Yep, 2013, 2014. Okay, um, great. I, I started at the end of 2013. So, uh, so yeah, over that next three years, we rebuilt the culture, re-engineered the menu. We um, did so many incredible things with people development. We opened a couple of new markets. You know, we did things that brand hadn't done uh, for a really long time, including make money. <laughs> so it was it, it was really a great time to do it. And I think what we proved out. We, what was important is that we could be ourselves and didn't have to be Chipotle, right? I think that's where they got themselves tripped yeah. up. That they themselves wanted to become the next Chipotle. Well, you're never going to be the next Chipotle. That's that's you're just not. You know that that's a once in a generation type type brand that you're just not going to be. But you can be yourself and you can be really really great at what you do. And we were able to prove that out. It was awesome. Yeah, one one of the things we say at Vigor uh, when we we hear that like, you're you're gonna hear that people see an opportunity, they see something worth emulating, yeah. um, and and then that's how the sentence comes out. Hey, we want to be the next Chipotle. We want to be right. And what we say is like, oh, wait, let's be clear here. Yep. You will never be a better Chipotle than Chipotle. So right. don't play that game. Right. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Now you can certainly take some great things they do, and, and you can figure out how to how to adopt those, right. And how to yep. repurpose those things. I think that's, that's what you do. I think that, you know, that competitive intelligence is important. And I think that you can figure out how, how you can do something that maybe is unique to what you do using some things they have. And I think that's what a lot of brands do. And that's smart. I mean, you want to learn from the best in class. And, uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Danny Meyer, you know, and Shake Shack, mm-hmm. and everything he's built. Right. And every time I hear, every time I hear Danny talk, I'm like, I'm using that. You know, I mean, I'm never going to be Danny Meyer. I'm never going to be Danny Meyer, but (laughs) but I can take those things that he teaches and I can use those, you know, in my world. So, yeah, he's an absolute wealth of knowledge and a lot to look up to. Um, So we we have Chipotle and we have Freebirds. These are two burrito concepts. Um, So I, I... well, I was going to say I don't intend to put you in a weird situation, but I actually do intend to put you in a weird situation. From your point of view, being involved in both, yeah, you know, Freebirds starts first, Chipotle yep. comes second, but Chipotle skyrockets. Freebirds does. doesn't. What are like two or three things that you think were the difference between the two? It was the quality of the ingredients. I think initially early on, they were just so much better with Chipotle. Um, you know, I think that made a huge impact. I think also the menu was too complicated to Freebirds. There were way too many choices. You know, people talk about Chipotle. I mean, get, you know, when I started, you have to remember at the time, there were four proteins. There were four salsas. There was one rice. There were two beans and there were fajitas, right? But within that small little menu, you can create anything you want. And I think, you know, I think at the time we used to have some stuff up at the restaurant that said you can create 65,000 different combinations, right? With just a small menu. That was the genius of Chipotle. But at Freebirds, where there's just so many options, trying to trying to be everything to everyone, I think that really hurt them because it was super, super hard. Um, they also had a very weird service model when I got there that we changed where they would kind of rotate the line where, you know, you'd start with one person, but then 
that person would then leave you and then go to another station. It was just this kind of this weird kind of like rotation oh, interesting. in terms of service. And that never made sense to me. So we changed that. So there were some of those core operational things. And then I also think that in terms of like the vision of the company, right? Like if you think about the vision that we had for Chipotle, it was to change the way the world thought about eight fast food. If you think about Freebirds, it was like, we want to be the best burrito in the state of Texas. So those are two different kind of things, right? Um, they're both really good, but you know, you're thinking smaller, I think, you know, when you're thinking about just a state. Um, so, so I think there were a few things that kind of played into it, um, that, that, uh, um, you know, kind of affected that. And then I, I also think that, um, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the McDonald's investment, um, you know, having, an investment from McDonald's yeah. and brand for Chipotle, right? That was, that was huge. Um, it was also a real challenge for people because people would always ask us, Oh, you know, or they would say, you know, you're owned by McDonald's. Like, no, we're actually not. They are the largest <laughs> investor that we have, but they live. And, the, and, and, you know, we talk about once in a lifetime type things. I don't think this will ever happen again. I mean, I know McDonald's has tried it since and every, every time they tried it, it's failed. They invested yeah. in us and they let us do what we do. They never made us do anything. Like they never made us serve breakfast. They didn't make us get drive throughs They didn't make us do any of that stuff. They just left us alone, which was a great decision for them. So mm-hmm. I think also that was certainly a big difference. And so we had this amazing vision from Steve Ells that, you know, what he wanted to do. And then we had the capital to be able to do it. So I think those are kind of some of the things that probably contributed to the disparity and kind of the two brands. In terms of scale, yeah, and, and Chipotle did a yeah. So Chipotle did a spinoff too. Um, I don't know if you were a part of it because I'm, I'm just blanking on the years. I was Shop House. Yeah, it was Shop House. Yeah. Um, yep. So sure did. Um, I, I was there for that. That was 2010. So Shop House opened in Washington D.C. Right. Yeah, Southeast Asian or uh, sorry, Asian Grill. Um, great, great food. Um, Great food, um, very much kind of the same model that we had at Chipotle, um, but it just didn't quite have the following that you know we did. Right. Um, you know, and then I know they invested. This was after I left, but they also invested to into Pizzeria Locale, uh, which is a a uh, pizza concept that's actually in Boulder, based in Boulder, um, with a couple of guys up there that Steve knew. And so there were a few of those around as well. Um, but but yeah, I think. That's their bread and butter, right? Their core brand is their bread and butter, and I can't see them ever getting away from that again. So, yeah, yeah, it seemed like I mean, I ate there. It was it was pretty good, but uh, one of the things that we talk about when someone comes in with a crazy idea is like, let's really make sure we want to pioneer this because um, pioneers die of dysentery. Pioneers end up eating each other in the snow. Like, I mean, it's a <laughs> list of things that happen with pioneers, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> For sure. <laughs> So, all right. So you, you go from Freebirds and, and yeah. you leave Freebirds. And, uh, oh, by the way, future plug, um, we we did get a verbal yes from Richard Pinnock, who's the new CMO of Freebirds, to be on the show. So, folks, if you want to learn more about Freebirds, I'm hoping to have him on soon. Nice. Um, Richard's a great guy. Um, so then you hop into consulting. You 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 jump yeah. out of the kitchen, as it were, and <laughs> maybe out of the frying pan into the into the flames. Really, uh, how has that worked out? What was the impetus behind consulting? Um, yep. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, so I really wanted to kind of um, you know take all the lessons I'd learned at Chipotle, really, and 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 I just you know I 
I would always get phone calls about, you know, what we did and how we grew and, you know, how we developed people and how did we expand to all these new markets so successfully. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to try to package that up into kind of a consulting type experience and, you know, share that with as many people as I can. And so the last four and a half years, I've done some speaking. Um, I've had a chance to work with a, some really cool clients. Um, and I worked with Wahlburgers, got to work with Mark Wahlberg for a few months, which was really cool, you know, kind of helping him understand, okay, where did he really want to take the brand, you know, his brand. So I've done a number of those, some higher profile, some not that has been really fun, um, for me too. And I've learned a lot from that experience too, because I'm a big believer that anytime you teach something, you learn something. I just, I just really believe it. Um, you know, we always made the point at Chipotle, if you're going to yeah, I, don't make, know, I don't know if I could work with uh, Mark Wahlberg uh, uh, or Mark Wahlberg. I, I think I'd get fired on the first day because if he ate something I made, I'd be like, would you say it's a good vibration? Would you say it's a sweet That's sensation, awesome. Mark? That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, that was, a really, that was a really interesting experience. I really enjoyed it. It was, it, it was pretty short. It was about four months, but, um, but, it, was, you know, but it was a lot of fun. So, so, yeah, so that was really kind of my, my desire was to take everything I'd learned um, which at the time I had not yet put into a book, but I eventually put into book form um, to go out and try to share with people how to make the organization stronger, how to create the, really, if you were to like put me in a box, I'm an operations and a culture guy. I mean, that's, that's really what I am. I believe that culture is the backbone for everything that you do in an organization. And that has to be right. Absolutely. First. That has to be right first. So, so that was my, so that was my desire to get into consulting and, and, um, it was, you know, somewhat with mixed results. I mean, you know, I had some really great experiences, some not so great experiences. Um, and you know, what I learned is that I don't really want to be, um, uh, an entrepreneur, you know, um, it's probably not where I want to be, you know, long-term, but, yeah. um, but it, it was a really great experience for me. I learned a lot. I love that. So you, you mentioned the book. Let's let's bring that to the forefront here. Yeah. It's called Cutting Onions, which yeah. I laughed at when I I'm not laughed in a bad way. Like I laughed to myself. Yeah. I had a, a chortle, as it were. because um, yeah. there is something irrational in my brain. I don't know if you have it too, where uh if I'm cutting Spanish onions specifically, <laughs> um and I start tearing up because I am of Puerto Rican descent. I've cut Spanish onions ever since I was old enough to be allowed to hold a knife. Right. Um and yet my eyes will still tear up and I get mad at myself. I'm like, what's wrong with you? You know, be a man. Right. <laughs> I love this. I laughed at myself when I saw the cutting onions podcast and cutting onions, the book. So tell me about the uh, evolution of the name, yep. why that matters, why it's important. And then let's, let's, let's open up the cover of the book metaphorically speaking. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So I, uh, I knew I wanted to write a book. I had been blogging for several years. I, I had quite a bit of content on my website. Um, and I had uh, just had this desire to like, okay, how can I package this together and maybe write a book? And so, but I couldn't figure out what to call it. Like, what do I want to say? Like, because it was more than just about Chipotle, but a lot of it had to do with Chipotle. So I went back and forth with a lot of different names in my head. And then one day I was actually in my kitchen, standing there cutting an onion. And I'm like, and so to just give you a little bit of the story behind that. So one of the things that we focus on at Chipotle, among many, many other things, is how to cut an onion. And there's a right way and a wrong way to cut an onion to get the right, the right dice or you know the right strip. You know the way you cut an onion for different recipes is going to be different, right? I mean, if you're cutting for fajitas, it's going to be different than if you're cutting for the guacamole. And so, 
And that became such kind of like this foundational core skill in the restaurant. And, uh, I mean, if you could cut an onion really, really well, you know, that was great, you know, and, and you, know, Absolutely. you could probably do more. Right. So, and, and so I thought cutting onions, that's what it should be, you know, and then it was all about leadership lessons that I had learned in the restaurant and, you know, in the industry and, you know, all those things that we just kind of talked about with culture building and how to develop people and how to create high performing teams. Um, that's all in the book and all, all I lay out clearly in there what we did at Chipotle to do that, to make that happen. And how do you, how do you define what it means to be a high performer and, um, you know, what are the attributes that you need to have? So it, it, it was a great experience for me. I reached out to a publisher. They loved it. Um, I wrote it. Um, it's been out for just over a year. It came out the week of the, the week that the pandemic happened, the week that the shutdown happened, it came out last year. So I'm actually working right now on a relaunch of the book, which I'm super excited about. Um, okay. I work on a website for that. Um, I've got someone working on that now. So yeah, it was a great experience to be able to just, to really document that really more than anything of, of, of just kind of all the, all the things that I had done, knowing that I would probably be transitioning away from consulting at some point. I wanted to just have that all documented for folks to read through. And, you know, of course I'm always happy to answer questions and I'm always happy to talk to people when they call, you know, about that experience. So. I love that. You know, and I love that you've, you've packaged at least everything that you've known. I, I've just gone down that path myself with the bullhearted brand. Yes. Um, so we're, we're currently on Kickstarter at the recording of this episode. By the time this episode airs, uh, it will hopefully be available. Um, how many pages is the book that you wrote? And, um, you know, where can people buy that? I was going to plug it at the end, but let's just plug it now. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's 198 pages long. Um, and it's available, uh, on Amazon. You can also order from any book retailer. Uh, it's currently not on the shelf anywhere, but you can order from any of the, any of the major bookstores out there. So, uh, you can order from any book, uh, you can order from Barnes and Noble. Um, you know, you can order it from target, uh, you know, and then from Amazon. Nice. Of course. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Killer. And we'll uh, links to it too on the, on the show. Yeah. Notes. Okay. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I love it. So, uh, full transparency, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, yeah. but it is on, it's actually top of my list. And I'm not just saying that because you're here. It really is. No, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, and I'm excited to, to dive into it because I think there's going to be a lot of magic in there. Um, so, you went from consulting. You, you had some ups. You had some downs. So that's consulting. Um, yeah, exactly. But now, as of what, last week, you took yes. the helm at uh, uh, on Sheridan's and Fork. Sheridan's and Fork, yeah, which is a... a, a a small little brand here in Kansas city that, um, I'm actually, you know, for me, full transparency, it was actually a consulting client that I had, um, working with Jim himself, you know, Sheridan. And, uh, um, you know, what we do is we live to serve you, you know, chef inspired food. We, we always try to buy local, um, support the local ingredients first. That's, that's important. You know, seasonal ingredients are really important to us. We source from, organic farms and prime growing regions. So, um, we, we want to provide the highest quality ingredients possible for folks, but we also want to create that enlightened hospitality experience for folks as well. Um, we would fall squarely into that kind of fast casual segment for sure. Um, we do have a drive through in one or two locations, but we're really that casual dining model. And, um, but it, yeah, it's an amazing brand. And, you know, again, taking everything that I've learned and being able to apply it, you know, what I've learned over the years, just like you, is that all the things we've learned, I mean, those things are transferable, right? I mean, and they can, they can 
they can travel with you. And so now getting to go into a, to a young team and helping them grow and helping them create their future is really exciting. Yeah, I love that. They, they've been on my radar for a little bit. Uh, I think we covered the initial brand identity design on our blog, Grits and Grids. Um, nice. So it's awesome to see you take the helm. What, what's the vision? What what, what is going to happen next? What can we look out for with Unforked? Yeah, great question. So um, just meeting this week with the founders, and what we're going to do is we're going to build out the rest of the Kansas City market. Uh, we actually have um, two Unforks open right now, one under construction that will open in January. Uh, we have plans for another two or three in Kansas City, and then we're already having conversations with what's next and where do we go next because we believe this is a brand that will travel and that people will love. And um, so, yeah, so you can expect to see some growth. So my goal is thinking over the next five years or so is that, you know, we're definitely going to have Kansas City totally built out um, with actual plans to develop into another market or two. I love that. Well, it looks like we're up on time. So final question, and then I'm going to just let you springboard yourself into plugging the hell out of everything. Um, it's, uh, death day. You know, this is your last day on earth. What is your final meal and or drink? That's a great question. So my final meal. Okay. My final meal. And I haven't been yet. I want to go to Italy. I really want to go. I want to go to the place where pizza was created. I want to go to the birthplace of pizza. I want to go to Naples. Naples I want yeah. to have the best pizza from best pizza chef in Italy, whoever that is. That's what I want. And I want it with a glass of incredible wine and a Diet Coke. That's what I want. That's, that is my last meal on earth. So I love it. I love it. Uh, five, well, so one more question before you plug yes, pineapple on pizza or no, uh, I can go either way. I'm not, it's not my favorite. So I would have to say no. If I had to pick one, I'd say no. <laughs> I'd say no. Cool. Yeah. Well, Bobby, how can people connect with you? Um, where do yeah. they find you? Sure. Yeah. They can find me. I am on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm, I'm there all the time. I'm on there trying to share, share valuable content that I think will be helpful. Um, they can also reach me at unfork.com. For sure. If they go there, they can also read more about the brand that I'm leading right now. Uh, they can also reach me on my website too. They can go, um, there's a new website coming. It's going to be, it's going to be actually Bobby Shaw at me.com. So make sure that's correct. Uh, it's actually, sorry, dot me. So they can reach me at Bobby Shaw dot me. Okay. So that is coming. They can also reach me on my consulting website too, which is obviously, bobbyshotconsulting.com um, as well. Uh, and then I'm on Twitter as well. So yeah, I'm pretty much on all the platforms. I'm on Instagram as well. So you can reach me pretty much anywhere. So That's awesome. Yeah. And Bobby's sharing all kinds of great information, not just uh, things from himself, but from others. And, and the podcast is fantastic. You have to listen to it. And my final piece of advice, Bobby, is please do a pop-up shop where you're doing some sort of barbecue smoked uh, legs and call it Shawl Shank Redemption. <laughs> I love that. That is hilarious. <laughs> nice. Well, it's been it's been awesome having you on. Thank you so much for your time, all your insights, and uh, you've been an absolute gem. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Justin. Thank you. If you 
you love what we've served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. Fork Tales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post-productions provided by Zencaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021, Vigor Graphic Design, LLC, all rights reserved.